yearbook traditions, was a senior poll. Uh, maybe some of you had that as well, in which all the cla- my classmates we voted for uh, who what. Who, uh, which classmate was best in a number of different categories. So, for example, best personality, best smile, best hair, class clown, most likely to succeed, etc. And I've got a new category for you to, to think about this morning. Most likely to never become a Christian. Take a minute and think right now, who would you vote for for that category? Maybe someone you know personally or maybe a public figure that you're thinking about. Who would you vote for as the most likely to never become a Christian. I'm guessing I know who the early believers in the book of Acts would have voted for. We met him two weeks ago, the last time we were looking at the book of Acts with Debbie Bellingham. It was Saul of Tarsus, later to be called Paul. We saw at the beginning of chapter 9, a couple weeks ago, that Saul had been breathing out murderous threats against the followers of Jesus. He was hunting them down. He was dragging them off to prison, both men and women. So zealous was Saul to destroy anyone he found who believed in Jesus that he even made a special trip to the far-off city of Damascus, which Debbie told us was 120 miles away from Jerusalem all the way to the very edge of the land of Judah, or more likely, even slightly outside of Judea. Saul was so zealous, so proactively hostile, that he had gone to the Jerusalem leadership, he'd gotten authorization to travel to that far-off city to track down and to arrest anyone he found who believed in Jesus there. Saul was definitely perceived in his day, if anyone it was, as the least likely to become a Christian. And yet, wonder of wonders, Jesus confronts Saul on the road to Damascus. With a blinding light and a loud voice, Saul, Saul, Jesus calls to him, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul replies. Falling down, no doubt stunned and shocked. I mean, what is going on? Who is this heavenly figure accosting me in the road? I'm sure Saul is wondering. Accusing me of persecuting him. I am Jesus, the figure replies. The one you are persecuting. Persecuting Jesus? Jesus, that false teacher? Jesus, that terrible deceiver? Jesus, that blasphemer, Jesus, that accursed criminal who rightly died in shame and damnation on a cross, Jesus is alive? Jesus says I'm persecuting him? You can imagine the the shock it was for, for Saul, what a lot it was for him to digest. Well, Saul gets up. And he's blind, and and he can't see anything literally, but I think also spiritually. He's in the dark. What is going on? Here he was serving God by by persecuting those who, who hold to a teaching that he was convinced was dangerous and dishonoring to the true God. Only to find out that Saul's been totally and completely wrong. That everything he's believed has been somehow upside down. That's a lot to come to grips with. A lot to process. 
And so for three days, Saul eats and drinks nothing. He's, he's blind. He's led by the hand into Damascus, searching, praying, fasting. And then Saul has a vision that a man named Ananias, a follower of Jesus, comes and lays hands on him and he receives his sight back. And in fact, Ananias does come and Saul feels his hands on his shoulders and he hears the voice of this Jesus follower say, Brother, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, whom, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And something like fish scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he can see again. He can see Ananias. He can see spiritually. And he gets up and he's baptized as a follower of Jesus. Don't underestimate the difference Jesus makes. Like Saul, most of us have a story. A story of how Jesus has met us and tried to get our attention. Many of our stories are far less dramatic. Most of our stories, probably. Some of us maybe still haven't realized it's Jesus calling to us. We're still only starting to wake up to the possibility that Jesus is alive and Jesus is calling our name, wanting to step into our life, wanting to make a difference. But whether our story is incredibly miraculous, like it was for Saul and it was for some of you, or whether it is far more quiet and gradual, Jesus does make a difference. In today's passage, as we see the story of Saul continue, we are challenged to not underestimate the difference that Jesus makes. Let's take a look and, and see what about Saul's story is, is also relevant to us and our story. Uh, we're going to look at three things. The, the first that we've already seen in Saul's story is that the difference Jesus makes is sometimes more miraculous, more amazing, more unbelievable than we expect. In the case of Saul, as the early believers in Jesus are looking on at his life, the difference in Saul is so radical that it's hard to believe. They were afraid of Saul, right? He's been breathing out murderous threats. He's come to hunt them down and lead them away in chains. He's enemy number one. But then in a matter of several days, this enemy meets Jesus and this enemy is transformed into a friend. Would you have believed it? Listen to the radical transformation Jesus has in mind for Saul. It's found back in verses 15 and 16. Saul, who's dead set on causing others to suffer because they follow Jesus. Jesus says, Saul, you are going to suffer because you follow me. And you're going to proclaim my name, the name of Jesus, far and wide. What a radical turnabout, a 180 degree turn. The hunter will become the hunted. The persecutor will become the persecuted. The Jesus hater will become the Jesus proclaimer. And that's what Saul immediately begins to do. Interpreters have noted that the radical nature of, of Saul's transformation is highlighted by the fact that his experience in Damascus, his first experience as a Jesus follower and Jesus proclaimer, it bears a striking resemblance to Jesus' own first experience when he began his public ministry. 
if you know the story of Jesus, do you remember the first sermon Jesus preached in the synagogue of Nazareth? Jesus gets up in the synagogue and he shares a message of salvation. Well, like Jesus, Saul also shares a salvation message in the synagogue in Damascus. With Jesus and his message, the response those in the synagogue had to him was that they were shocked and they were astonished and they asked, isn't this Joseph's son? Aren't his siblings here with us? Like Jesus, so with Saul. Those in the synagogue who hear Saul's message are also shocked and astonished. And they ask, isn't this the guy who came here to persecute those who follow Jesus? Then in the case of Jesus, those in the synagogue of Nazareth, they take offense and they actually try to kill Jesus, to stone him, and he narrowly escapes with his life. Likewise, with Saul, those in the synagogue try to kill Saul, and he also narrowly escapes the city with his life. You see the similarities between Jesus and Saul, which I think are intentionally narrated there by Luke. Don't underestimate the difference Jesus makes. Jesus has radically transformed Saul's life from someone radically opposed to Christ to someone radically becoming like Christ. Saul is very quickly stepping into a Christ-like way, a Christ-like pattern of life. Like Jesus, he proclaims the good news of salvation. Like Jesus, he brings surprise and astonishment to religious people who thought they knew who he was. And like Jesus, Saul is persecuted by them and barely escapes with his life. Again, Jesus said of Saul in verses 15 to 16, He's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. To share the good news of salvation and to suffer as a result. That was Saul's calling. But as followers of Jesus, isn't it also actually all of our callings? Isn't it part of what it means to follow Jesus? Jesus said to all of us, you will be my witnesses, my ambassadors. And Jesus also said, no one can follow me unless they lay down their life, unless they take up their cross and follow after me. Well, that's what Saul immediately begins doing. What a radical transformation. So radical that the early followers of of Jesus find it very hard to believe that it's happened. Ananias finds it hard to believe. We we saw that when we looked at the first part of, of chapter nine two weeks ago. The Lord appears to Ananias in a vision and says, go, find Saul, place your hands on him so he can see again. And and what's Ananias' response? Lord? I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias can't believe he and Jesus are talking about the same Saul. Then later, when Saul comes to Jerusalem, he tries to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. Right? How could he be? How could Saul, their arch enemy, their notorious arch persecutor, be one of them now? It's so hard to believe. But don't underestimate the difference Jesus makes. So think of that person who you 
would vote for to be the most likely never to become a Christian, the most likely never to change. Think about that person and don't underestimate the difference Jesus makes. Take a minute now just silently and pray for that person that that you have in mind. Pray that Jesus would make a difference for them. Amen. We might also want to turn up the heat a little bit. Is anyone else on the chilly side? Thanks. Um, so sometimes the difference Jesus makes is, is far more miraculous than we expect. At the same time, second, the difference Jesus makes can also be far slower than we have patience for. Right? <laughs> and this is true of Saul as well. Let's be careful not to venerate Saul, especially the early Saul. He may wind up being a hero in the book of Acts, an apostle who writes books of the Bible and an example for all of us to follow, but he's not Jesus. He's just a regular human being like you and me. And think of the other 12 apostles. We know their stories from the four Gospels. And they spent three years with Jesus And yet, they didn't become great godly leaders right away, did they? (laughs) No, often we find them doubtful, fearful, having little faith. Or we find them prideful and arrogant and arguing with one another about which of them is the best. Later on, we find them hateful and vindictive, asking Jesus to call down fire on people they don't like. Like all of us, it took time for them to grow and to mature. Why would it be any different for Saul? And so like all of us, Saul, early in his spiritual journey, has a lot of rough edges. Uh, Saul, probably more than anyone, had rough edges. (laughs) Before he met Jesus, Saul was going around raising havoc. And after he meets Jesus, he's still raising havoc. At least now he's trying to do it for Jesus instead of against Jesus. He's working for Jesus, but that doesn't mean he's doing it yet wisely, graciously, or maturely. Saul is certainly still zealous. In fact, I'd go so far as to say he's radioactive. (laughs) So much so that at this point in the story, Luke introduces a new group of vocabulary words to describe Saul and his activities Words that we haven't seen in Acts before Saul comes on the scene. But um, we're going to start seeing these words a lot in relation to Saul as we learn his story. The, the first word is in verse 22. Depending on your English translation, it's confound or baffle or cause consternation. And, and this is not always a positive word. Th- this is the effect Saul has on those he speaks to. He confounds them. He leaves them baffled. He leaves, or he causes consternation in them. Then in verse 29, we have another word. Again, depending on your translation, it's debate or argue or dispute. We did see this word once before when Stephen argued or disputed with the Hellenistic Jews. And now Saul's doing it. He's arguing, he's debating, he's disputing with the Hellenists, perhaps with the very same people who, of course, got so upset with Stephen that they killed him. 
And now before long, they're going to try to kill Saul too. The third word is in verses 27 and 28, and it's more positive. Paul spoke or preached boldly. So we've got confused, baffled, confounded. We've got argued, debated, disputed, and we've got spoke or preached boldly. And we're going to see these words again and again used to describe Saul's activities as Acts continues. And while Saul's boldness and courage are certainly very admirable, and they'll serve him very well in the future, I'm not sure the way Saul um, is going about all of this, about uh, representing Jesus here at this early stage, is always good or mature. In fact, have you noticed in Acts that uh, after Peter or Philip or whoever speak about Jesus, we're usually told what the response was. Often we're told, you know, how many people started following Jesus. Sometimes it's in the thousands or it's more and more people. We're told that people are baptized. And so it's striking to me that here in Damascus and then in Jerusalem, Saul is arguing, Saul is speaking boldly, and people are baffled or they're confused, but it doesn't say anyone actually comes to believe. And it doesn't say anyone is baptized. With the possible exception in verse 25, where we learn that Saul's followers, literally Saul's disciples, help Saul escape from Damascus. Who are these followers of Saul? Are are they people Saul has led to Christ? Or are they Christians who who now look up to Saul and follow him? Or, Or should we not translate it his disciples, Saul's disciples, but rather the disciples like the King James translates it? We don't know for sure. But besides this possible unclear reference, there's no other indication that anyone so far has come to believe in Jesus as a result of Saul's disputing and preaching. What is clear is that everywhere Saul goes, he stirs up trouble. He causes havoc. So much so that twice already, both in Damascus and then in Jerusalem, those Saul talks to want to kill him. I think maybe our conclusion about Saul should be that Jesus is in this, that that Jesus is going to use Saul, but it's going to take some time, some refining, some maturing, some learning to trust in God's power before this strong, abrasive, bullheaded personality is going to bear fruit. Right now, as a brand new, immature follower of Jesus, the trouble Saul is experiencing, we don't know for sure, but it may be more about his personality and about the way he's going about things than it is about the message that he's sharing. And so notice the way Luke ends this section, which is also the the end of the the second section of the book of Luke, or sorry, the, the book of Acts, verses 30 to 31. Verse 30, when the believers learned of this, that people were trying to kill Saul, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Sent him off to Tarsus. His hometown, the place he grew up, which is a place way far off up in what's now Turkey. They sent him off, no doubt, for his own protection, but you sort of wonder if they were all too happy to send him off. (laughs) Because listen to the next verse, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. (laughs) Right? And was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Paul, 
Paul does, or Luke doesn't tell us it increased in numbers until Saul's out of the picture. It's almost like, phew, Saul is gone. Now we can have peace and we can grow again. First, he was trying to arrest us and kill us. Then he's stirring up trouble for Jesus, wreaking havoc, making havoc wherever he goes. And so we ship him off far away, and now finally we have some peace. Well, God is certainly not done with Saul. God is going to use his undaunted, outspoken, bold, zealous personality to great effect. But it takes patience, doesn't it, for people to mature. Don't underestimate the difference Jesus makes. But often it's slower than we have patience for. Anyone you'd like to ship off? Don't answer that. <laughs> Let's remember this as, as we disciple new believers. As we train up new leaders. As we work to get along with one another as well. In fact, think right now. Is there someone in your life who maybe you long to ship off or, or maybe you long to see Jesus change them. But it's taking longer than you have patience for. Take a minute now again and I invite you to pray silently and just pray that God gives you patience with that person. Amen. Well, that leads us to the third thing that we we need to notice about how Jesus makes a difference. Not only first can it be more miraculous and amazing than we expect, and not only second can it take more patience than we sometimes have, but third, God always wants to involve his people in the process. In fact, think about Saul's original conversion how Jesus himself appeared to Saul with a blinding light and a voice. I mean, if there was ever a case when Jesus didn't need human help to get someone to believe in him, it's this case. It's Saul. Jesus himself steps in. He personally appears to Saul and radically changes the course of Saul's life. But yet notice, even in Saul's case, Jesus chooses to involve his followers in the process. Jesus didn't have to, but he chose to involve Ananias. Ananias, go find Saul. Lay your hands on him. Baptize him. Be involved in his conversion. Jesus doesn't need us, but Jesus always wants to involve his followers in the process. And this is a major theme in in the part of Saul's story we're looking at this morning. Three times, in fact, in this short passage, we see Jesus' followers being involved in Saul's spiritual journey. Specifically, three times Saul gets into trouble and three times they help him out of it. So first in Damascus, Saul is disputing, he's speaking about Jesus. People there are getting so upset that they want to kill him. In fact, they so badly want to kill him that they watch the gates of the city night and day for him to leave. This is serious. They don't just lynch him in a fit of anger like they did to Stephen. No, they are dead set on ridding the earth of Saul. 
So much so that they are day after day, night after night, watching to catch Saul and to kill him. Talk about making some enemies. So what did Jesus' followers do? They helped Saul. They come around him. They secretly let him down at night through a hole, a window in the city walls so he can escape to Jerusalem. Think about this. Saul came to Damascus with troops of some sort, authorized with power to arrest Jesus' followers. And he meets Jesus on the way. Jesus changes his life. And as a result of that, Paul leaves Damascus as a fugitive, as a wanted man, sneaking out of the city, fleeing from those who want to kill him. Think of what this reversal of fortunes must have been like for Saul. What a difference Jesus has made in terms of downward mobility. (laughs) You wonder what Saul thinks about what he signed up for. But it's Jesus' followers who are there for him, to help him, to encourage him, no doubt, and to support him and to aid him in his escape. Then Saul goes to Jerusalem. And he tries to join the followers of Jesus there, but they're afraid of him. Of course. I mean, he's the guy who went around rounding them up, men and women, throwing them in prison, trying to get them put to death, and now he's back. And and so they don't want anything to do with him. They don't trust him. What are his real motives in trying to join them? What new trickery is this? But think of what this must have been like for Saul. Who's he got? His fellow Jews want to kill him. His fellow Christians are afraid of him. They don't trust him. Saul's utterly alone. His life's been turned upside down and he's utterly alone. But once again, one of Jesus' followers, this time Barnabas, comes to Saul's aid. Remember Barnabas? We met him earlier in the the book of Acts. Uh, He's a generous guy. He'd sold some property to help those in need back in Acts 4. And we learned that he'd been nicknamed son of encouragement. And now we see him in action. Coming alongside of Saul. Taking a risk on Saul. Believing in Saul. Advocating for Saul. Persuading the apostles that Saul has really changed. That Saul is one of them now. A friend, not an enemy. A fellow disciple of Jesus. And so because of Barnabas, Saul is welcomed in. And he's able to join the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. But again, he starts speaking boldly and disputing with people in the synagogues. And we have to realize that all of these interactions that that Saul is having so far about Jesus in Damascus and now in Jerusalem, they're all religious arguments with what we would call today church people, synagogue people. And again, Saul is so forceful, he comes on so strong that that things get hot, so hot that they want to kill Saul too. And so now for a third time, the followers of Jesus come around him to help him, to save him. They help him get out of Jerusalem to Caesarea down by the coast. And then they send him off, far off, to his boyhood home of Tarsus. Notice that that no matter how hard Saul may be to take or to get along with, no matter how immature or off-putting he may be, his fellow disciples are learning to be patient with him, to stick with him to help him on his spiritual journey because God's not done with him yet. God has big plans. Just like God's not done with me yet and God's not done with you yet. 
And so we've got to be patient with one another and realize that you have a role to play in my spiritual journey and I have a role to play in yours. Don't underestimate the difference that Jesus makes. Don't underestimate the difference that Jesus makes. That difference can be absolutely miraculous. It will always also take great patience because while there may be some dramatic moments, it's always also a long, slow process of growth and maturity. And finally, it always involves us, other believers, in the process. Nobody makes the Jesus journey alone. We absolutely need others. We have a role to play with each other. And so we've got to be patient with one another. So what's God saying to you this morning? Is there someone you need to have more faith and more expectation about the difference Jesus can make in their life? Or maybe it's for yourself, for your own life. Or is there someone you need to be more patient with because the process of change is so slow? Or, or maybe there is someone who you need to get involved with to play more of a role in their spiritual journey, to be there with them and for them now in the middle of the mess while they're still in process to help them along the way in what Jesus is doing in and for them. Let's pray. Jesus, so many of us can stop and give you thanks for the difference you've made in our lives. And yet we also recognize there's still a long way to go. Um, so whatever it is that you've been speaking to each of our hearts this morning, maybe you've been lifting our eyes to have hope and expectation for someone that we've given up hope on, to pray afresh and hope afresh that you will transform their lives. Or maybe it's someone we're struggling to be patient with, that we need to be encouraged to hang in there, to be involved with them. Speak that word to our heart, Jesus, and help us to be faithful in partnering with you in what you're doing in people's lives. Amen.